This is Dr. C, and I'm stoked to welcome you to an episode of Christory the Podcast. When history is told by Christine, the good old days, and even the not-so-good old days, will make you nod your head. I'm glad you made it to the party. Let's do this. Wishing you welcome again to Christory, where history rules and it's always an adventure. At least the history that we explore here, because we leave the boring stuff and the beaten track to someone else. This is Dr. Christine Contrada, and in today's episode of Christory, we're hopping the Q train and headed over to Coney Island, New York. Happy 4th of July, guys, and remember, treason, it's the reason for the season. And of course, we have the usual cast of historical heavy hitters in the ring. Washington, Adams, Jefferson, Franklin, Hamilton. But have you ever heard of the man, the myth, dare I say the legend, Joey Chestnut? Well, I've got an Independence Day treat for you. Ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages, step right up to the history of the Coney Island Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. This historian hasn't eaten a hot dog since 2005, and I was always a Hebrew national kind of girl, but hold my frosty root beer, because in honor of the 247th celebration of American independence from Great Britain, we are going full-on Americana. Backyard barbecue, where I can't hear you over the sound of freedom ringing level fireworks. And why drop a podcast two days early? Well, really, Independence Day should have been set on July 2nd. As John Adams wrote in a letter to Abigail Adams, July 2nd was when the Continental Congress voted for the resolution for independence. Almost unanimously, sans loyalist and very stubborn New York. Adams said that July 2nd will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the Great Anniversary Festival, which he described as being one with, and I quote, pomp, parades, games, sports, guns, bells, bonfires, and illuminations from one end of the continent to the other. Actually, it's pretty accurate projection on the part of the man called his rotundity. Yes, the founding fathers were definitely mean girls. But I digress into the antics of the Founding Fathers. We're here for the hot dogs, and we need a stage for the main event. Coney Island in southern Brooklyn was settled by the Dutch in 1645, before the English snatched it up along with the rest of New Amsterdam. Low-lying and swampy, it was used for grazing animals until the 19th century, when bathing in the sea came more into fashion. Now, we don't know exactly why it's called Coney Island. There are some really interesting etymological theories floating around. Perhaps it's an Anglo-bastardization from the Dutch words for rabbit island? Maybe. Up sprang some hotels, and the stagecoach route was completed when a crushed shell road opened to the mainland of Brooklyn in 1829. Before then, it was an island. But by the time the Civil War ended, Coney Island was bumping. These days, it's all about the Hamptons. But in the late 1870s, this was named the best beach on the Atlantic coast. And 60,000 people rolled into Coney Island every weekend to catch some rays on the three miles of beachfront. 
Coney Island had the first amusement park in the United States, complete with carousel, Ferris wheel, aquarium. It's actually the oldest that's still open in the United States. Coney Island was home to the first roller coaster in the U.S. It was called the Switchback Gravity Railway. It's not a very catchy name, and apparently it was a really crappy ride, but it was still the first. The more you read about the amusements of Coney Island, the more it sounds like Las Vegas. Now, the masterpiece of the amusements was the Cyclone. This was an all-wooden roller coaster with an 85-foot drop that reached 60 miles an hour. When Charles Lindbergh wrote it, he said it was scarier than flying. It's still there, and you can ride it. Or you can go all out and try to beat the kid from Staten Island the teenager in 1977 who set the world record for riding it around for 104 hours straight. That's more than four days and 2,400 trips. Smart kid, because the rest of New York was obsessed with the Son of Sam killings in 1977, and this kid was zipping around on a roller coaster. Apparently, he trained for it by sticking his head out of a car window on the highways of Staten Island, and he had to get a doctor's note saying that his heart was in good shape before boarding seat number six of the ride with a pillow and a blanket. And yes, he ate Nathan's hot dogs when he got hungry. That's pretty hardcore. That marathon roller coaster ride was completed by Richard Rodriguez, and kudos to Richard for taking it to a new level. Now, I'd be remiss not to mention that of the many spectacles offered at Coney Island over the years, one stands out as being particularly noteworthy. When he was young, Cary Grant actually worked this exhibition calling people to come in and view it. The name of that title of his job was a barker. From 1903 to 1940, there was an exhibition where you could view tiny premature babies living in glass incubators. This exhibition was set up by a German-Jewish immigrant doctor who was set on improving incubator technology that was coming in from France, which was way ahead of the United States to begin with. And in the process, he ended up saving thousands of premature babies. Dr. Cooney's exhibits saved thousands of babies that otherwise would have died in overrun city maternity wards without these machines. He even put his own premature daughter in the care of the exhibition. The parents got free care from top-notch nurses and doctors, and the incubator technology was better than what they would have had access to in the hospitals, and the spectators paid for it. For 25 cents, a curious onlooker could stand behind a rope and look at the babies. The incubator sideshow saved a baby born in Brooklyn who was only 1 pound 10 ounces. Some of it was spectacle, of course. Tiny babies dressed in baby clothes the size for normal full-term babies to highlight their small size. Because Dr. Cooney was ahead of his time, he definitely worked outside of the establishment. Now, this is not your run-of-the-mill carnival sideshow by any stretch of the imagination. So you can see that Coney Island has a history of being over the top. But who came to Coney Island? 
Well, it was a playground for the rich, but by the turn of the century, immigrants working in factories in the city flooded out to the shorefront, particularly on the weekends, and Coney Island became a respite for the working class. It was a day-tripper's paradise, and it was known as the Nickel Empire because you could get there from the city with a nickel, and they rolled in with their wool-bathing clothes and baskets of food. Coney Island was America's playground across socioeconomic classes, but to be honest, I'm a native New Yorker and Coney Island has never been the most inviting beach. Other city beaches like Jacob Reese and the Rockaways have always seemed more inviting. I think the problem is that Coney Island is really close to the Narrows and call me a child of the 80s, but I don't do three-headed fish. I also completely miss the heyday of Coney Island. And Coney Island today is a shadow of its former self, but its history is so deeply interesting and sordid. If you like shady real estate and business deals, I absolutely encourage you to read up on it. Despite the passing of its heyday, Coney Island is still alive and well. There's a huge mermaid parade that's actually the nation's largest art parade, and that takes place every June. More people have showed up to that parade than the entire population of Boston big. But in honor of Independence Day, let's talk hot dogs and not mermaids. The Nathan's International Hot Dog Eating Contest is held annually on July 4th, at the original Nathan's location on Surf Avenue and Stowell Avenue in Coney Island. They've been selling hot dogs at the beach since a German immigrant named Charles Feltman opened a stand in 1870s, selling these hot dogs on split buns with sauerkraut. Sausages have been kicking around the human diet since the earliest civilizations in ancient Babylon, perhaps, We know that the ancient Romans certainly ate them. And they didn't have the great American internet to drive a hot dog debate about whether or not the darn things are a sandwich or not. Now, hot dogs as we know them, sandwich or not, have evolved into their current incarnation. They're most likely German. They've come a long way, baby. I've even had the insanely expensive vegan mock dog at City Field while watching the Blue Jays wipe the floor with the Mets a few weeks ago. But I was daydreaming about Daryl Strawberry in happier days, like 1986. America's national pastime is best enjoyed with a hot dog of any variety. It's less than seven bucks to get a hot dog at the Nathan's in Coney Island, which is a steal in comparison to City Field. Shocking, I know. And back to Brooklyn we go. The first official organized hot dog eating contest at Coney Island was held in 1967, but on June 30th, which marked the 100th anniversary of the invention of the hot dog, the guy who won was 400-pound Walter Paul. He ate almost 130 hot dogs in 60 minutes. Of the many details that caught my eyes of the contest over the years was the 1972 contest where the winner was given coupons for 40 free hot dogs as a prize. And I'm thinking hot dogs probably wouldn't be on the menu for a while, 
but they were a college student, and college students back, bounce back fast. These days, it's all about 39-year-old California native Joey Jaws Chestnut. Chestnut ate a mind-blowing, or should I say stomach-blowing, 63 hot dogs in only 10 minutes in the 2002 contest, and he would have eaten more the year before he ate 76 in 10 minutes, but he was ambushed by a determined animal rights protester who jumped on stage during the contest. With the clock still going, Joey proceeded to put the protester in a headlock so that he could continue to shove hot dogs in his face. I can't help but add here that he was also competing with a ruptured Achilles tendon in his right leg. And I don't care who you are, that's hardcore. And despite those odds, Joey Jaws beat everyone else by a mile. It wasn't even close. The guy behind him ate 48 hot dogs sans interruption. And a shout out to Miki Sudu, who won the women's competition straight out of maternity leave by shoving 40 hot dogs in her face in 10 minutes. The ladies have been competing since 2011. If this excites you to the point where you want to compete, well, first you have to be under contract by Major League Eating. And yes, that's a thing. The league was created in 1997 by the Shea brothers who were running Nathan's publicity at the time. There are rules to this contest, of course. Condiments are allowed, but rarely are they asked for. If you're still chewing a hot dog when they call time, that hot dog counts. You'll get a yellow card if you make a mess, which includes puking. And what if there's a tie? Well, then it's on like Donkey Kong to a sudden death eat-off. Now, Joey travels the world in these eating contests. He was actually able to quit his day job in construction. So yes, he actually eats for a living. And I was reading an interview that he did for Sports Illustrated magazine, and his inspiration is actually kind of interesting. Much like Steve Jobs' famous commencement speech, where he talked about being really close to dropping out of college and feeling unmotivated, but then he went off and took a calligraphy class, which opened his eyes to the possibility of beautiful fonts, and the rest is the history of Apple Computer. Chestnut was a poor student who took a philosophy class not because he wanted to, but it was there for an easy A. But little did he know that it would help him chase his dreams. The professor was apparently rattling off about the meaning of life, and that made Joey understand, and I quote Joey Chestnut, the intrinsic value of things that make you happy and why they make you happy. And Joey wanted to be a champion, and this is his meaningful life. And I can tell you that humans across history and across geography are constantly searching for meaning and value in their lives. And yeah, it can be hot dogs. There is also a hint of a Rocky Balboa-esque underdog story here. Joey was one of six kids, so he ate pretty fast growing up to try to beat his siblings to seconds before the food was gone. And these days, he comes into the ring like a boxer with a yellow mustard belt with all the bells and whistles that Coney Island can muster. 
And every year in Coney Island, you get the sense that the show must go on. And when COVID shut down the world, even in the middle of a global pandemic, that didn't stop the contest. I can tell you from personal experience that New York City was actual Thunderdome in the summer of 2020. And yet, unlike other professional sports, the hot dog eating contest went on. It wasn't canceled. And neither could a hurricane stop the show. Hurricane Sandy drowned New York City. And despite most of Coney Island being destroyed, the contest was still held on site in 2013. And CNN noted that the contest was a sign of normalcy after Sandy. Hope in hot dogs. As with all athletic competitions, it is both physical and mental to eat that much in one sitting. Now, apparently Joey trains with a special made weight to lift with his teeth to make his jaw stronger, uh, that he regularly stretches out his stomach as well with water, and he stages mock contests in his basement. And like all athletes, he fights with the reality of aging. Apparently, you do better in these contests when you're physically fit. In terms of the mental strength acquired, he lost in 2015, apparently because he broke up with his girlfriend. Poor Joey. And he's not in the game for the money. If he wins, he gets 10000 bucks. Clearly, this is not the NFL, which is America's other great pastime. And yes, this hot dog eating contest is a tribute to excess, but the history of the United States has shown time and time again that the United States is culturally very much a nation of excess, for better and worse. Gluttony is an extension of that way of thinking about the American dream and how it's been conceptualized. Just think about the 1980s. So yes, it's very fitting, and it's not at all surprising as a 4th of July tribute to what makes America, America. We're also talking hot dogs. This isn't caviar. It's portable mystery meat. This is working class. In the early contests, it was marketed as a contest of immigrants eating as many hot dogs as possible as a show of patriotism. These days, it's more about individual showmanship. And eating contests do happen around the world, particularly in Japan and Canada as well. But this is very much an American pastime. Runaway capitalism and abundance at its best. It's the land of plenty, baby. It's like the ghost of Christmas present sitting in a cornucopia of goodies tenfold. Hot dogs are as American a food as apple pie, so much so that Franklin Roosevelt served hot dogs to King George VI of England when he visited the United States in 1939. The king, who's Queen Elizabeth II's father, was clearly not complaining about the hot dogs, and instead he went back for seconds. This was the first time that a reigning English monarch had ever visited the United States, and these hot dogs were known as the hot dogs that won the war, as it very much bonded the relationship between the U.S. and England on the eve of World War II, or at least the actual barbecue did. It wasn't a state dinner. 
It was a friendly picnic in upstate New York amongst political allies. Now, have there been other Joey Chestnuts? Well, not really, because competitive eating really isn't as old as you might think it is. Now, sure, in the ancient world, patrician Romans hedonistically and famously gorged themselves at enormous banquets where they favored meats stuffed into other meats, which to me at least sounds like fancy hot dogs. Medieval and Renaissance courts also had their all-day food fests, and Henry VIII comes to mind here. And there's an interesting Norse myth that is at least as old as the 13th century that talks about a meat-eating contest between the god Loki and a human. And the human actually won the contest because he ate the plate too. But you don't hear about contests being organized the way that we think about them until the end of the 19th century. And that would be our neighbor Canada stepping up to the plate. Because the first pie-eating contest was held in Toronto in 1878, complete with rules about not using your hands, which effectively meant that you pretty much stuck your face in said pie. And the media in the United States got very excited about reporting about this dignified event, and Americans were immediately sold on the idea. Now, many question these food contests as being wasteful, and some argue that they're downright repulsive. But apparently, millions of people disagree and tune in to chant Chestnut at the Nathan's competition, which is the Super Bowl of them all. And since Americans consume more than 20 billion hot dogs a year, Joey Chestnut is but a drop in the hot dog bucket. And clearly he's consuming something in mass that is near and dear to many Americans. Rather than being like many Americans and spending the 4th of July stuck in traffic on your way to a parade or buying food in enough bulk to feed a small island nation or opting for Froyo because we've been told that it's healthy, or blowing things up recreationally, or turning the color of a lobster at the local beach. Why not sit your butt on the sofa on July 4th and tune in to see what this is all about? Watch history happen. The women's competition's going to stream on ESPN, the app, at 1045 in the morning. The men's competition is going to start at noon, and that will be on TV on ESPN, too. So ding, ding, let freedom ring, and to quote the late, great, notorious B.I.G., spread love, it's the Brooklyn way. And see you next time. Thanks for coming along for the ride. Catch you later. <laughs>